So hi, Lenny. What was your first computer? Technically, uh, my first computer was a piece of paper, which is, uh, which is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, my dad brought me this huge uh, drafting paper. It was the size of a wall. I had to like put it on the floor to read it. It wasn't Fortran. And that was basically a Fortran translation into the assembly and actually like a printout what it's supposed to do. And the computer actually was me. I was reading the Fortran uh, uh, Fortran program and tried to translate it to see if it matched the output. And that was kind of my, my first computer because back in those days in the Soviet Union, there was no access to computers. Oh, it was in Soviet and Union? Yes, I that's I grew up in former Soviet Union. The country doesn't exist anymore. And and where was it? This was in Kiev. Now it is Ukraine. Oh, Ukraine. Okay, cool. So lots of yes. uh, Java conferences going on in Ukraine right now. I know. I I I'm missing out so much, but I don't know if they are actually going because of this coronavirus stuff. I don't know. Yeah, no, no. They are, they are uh, most of them are uh, no online conferences right now. So, uh, who was yeah. your father then? Like a programmer? My father's my father is not a programmer. I'm the uh, uh, one and only programmer in the family so far. My father, uh, he's retired now, but he was a mechanical engineer. Uh, and my mom, my mom was also retired now. She's a uh, she used to be a piano teacher. Piano teacher, not bad. And and your father with the so why he did with the Fortran is with you. So I mean, if he's a mechanical engineer, how he got the idea, you know doing some printouts? Well, back uh, back then, I was a violinist. That was my career. Uh, no kidding. The... No, no. Uh, okay, was... then a question to you. Uh, was it your idea or your parents? So is it possible? It was my idea. No kidding. Like, I, I was obsessed with computers even back then, the idea of computers, because I had no idea what they were. I've never seen. No, one. no, I, I'm I not not about the computers. You, uh, you you played violin, right? Yes. Whether it was your idea to start playing, you know, the instrument, or your parents? Oh, oh, no, that was my, my yeah, violin. Yeah, for was, sure. Oh, I always ask myself: Is it possible that a kid will start, you know, with some classical instrument just for fun? Some people do. Uh, it just was not me. Okay. And what do you enjoyed more? Now, no one listens, so. Uh, Playing violin or re reading the Fortran printout? Oh, my parents, actually, the reason why my dad brought the Fortran printout was so it was a, uh, it was an incentive for me to play. My dad's like, if you play at least two hours, then I'll give you the Fortran printout to read. Hey, cool. So, and what is more fun right now, you know, reading Scala code or playing violin? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't play violin anymore. Okay. Uh, so uh, I don't know about writing Scala code. I haven't oh, okay. done that either. So so. Is... <laughs> We're just kidding. We get uh, lots of nice comments now in our. Yes. So, yes. Um, but still, I mean, before that, you should be already fascinated with computers, right? Because otherwise, the paper will be pointless. Oh, yes. I. I uh... I, I was always imagining computers because, again, I didn't know what they what they were all yeah, about. Yeah, but why? I mean, how old were you with the very first idea of the computer then? About about ten. Okay, and and how you, I mean, how you know there is a computer? You watched a movie or read a book or or? 
Well, there's a book, uh, most likely books, maybe cartoons or uh, okay. movies or something like that, but I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, and um, with the printouts, you said it was a huge one. So how big was it? Is it like, it, you said a wall? Yeah, it was uh, kind of uh, two meters by six meters. But how, yeah, how your dad got it? I mean... This is unusual. So how to print something out? I mean, there, there's no such printer. So how, how, how he did it? Well, there they are, so are these printers because uh, he was a mechanical engineer and there's these drafting printers that he had at work. So he printed, he printed it on one of the drafting printers. Okay, but your uh, dad didn't understood the code. He just got the no. code and print. Oh, okay. So he printed just, you know, the code as a gift to you, right? Definitely, yes, to force me or encourage me to play violin more. Okay, this is really unusual. It is. <laughs> okay, but then, uh, be, and, do you have any any idea about, you know, what to do with computers before or was your first touch, you know, with program? Well, uh, when my family came to the U.S., after that, I got uh, my first computer, my first actual computer. Which yeah, but was this was Commodore after the printout, computer. right? Yes, this was way after the printout. But yes. uh, before the printout, where does uh, you had already a, a little idea? You know what a for loop is or if statement? Nothing. No, 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 not a clue. Okay, so now, if you read the printout, Fortran, you learned something, or was it Mission Impossible? It was at that point. It was Mission Impossible, but I felt like I learned something. But it was more. Uh, it was more that I was encouraged and uh, kind of fall in love with. Uh, programming and computers okay. in this case. And you so. played violin more then or not? Uh, I don't think that quite worked. So the, the strategy term. was not very successful, right? No. It, no so it, it means if uh, we have a kids and we you know, give them a printout of, let's say, Java, which is six by six square meters, it is not very successful strategy, right? Not long term. Maybe short term, but not long term. Okay. So what happened? Any strategy that's not kid driven is, I don't think it's not going to be viable. Okay. So, what happened after the printout? Well, after the well, the fast forward a few years later, I got my first computer. What was it? The Commodore actual com, uh, actual computer Commodore VIC twenty, and just like you, I was so fascinated about the peaks and pokes. Because it's like it, it was like magic. What, what, what is these magical numbers? I hated the pick addresses? and pokes because yeah. <laughs> uh, everything was you no know, learnable except the pick and pokes. So if I saw them, okay, game over. I have no idea what to do. So, um, how old were you with the Vic Twenty? About thirteen. Okay, three years. Uh, this was already in US. Already in US because I've never seen a computer in 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 Ukraine. And, and were they computer in Ukraine? Uh, I think they were, but the access was so limited, especially back then, it, okay. that there's like only a few people in the in the whole country had access to any kind of computers. And, Are we talking yeah. about uh, 1988 or 1990 or? Uh, we're 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 talking about 19 uh, uh, mid 80s, 1985. Okay. In that Fortran printout days. And uh, where you were in in US, so New York or what was? Yeah, in the U.S., we came to New York in 1988. Okay. 
and uh, yeah, right after that, I got that Commodore VIC twenty and those peaks and pokes and uh, just just it was it was just just insanely in, it, 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 it was just uh, there was a lot of magic. Let's put it that way. And I did not like magic. I wanted to know how it works. Okay. Uh, so so that computer didn't last long. The first. Uh, uh, I never really played video games. Uh, a lot of your guests on your previous podcast, they play video games. I was never really into video games. I was never into programming video games, not into uh, playing video games. I had my simple pleasure, which was I wanted to tell computer what to do, and it does it. And that just satisfied me to no end. Okay. Just even a simple hello world would satisfy me. Especially if you, you know, you write an assembly language and it takes for you a day to do it because it would crash because you would do something wrong. Obviously, it, it, you know, all that debugging just gives me that. That's that's the stuff that gives me pleasure. Hey, cool. Uh, completely different question. So you arrived from Ukraine to US. What was your first impression of US back then? You remember that? You know, the very first day uh, in New York. I do. It was very disappointing. Oh, really? Uh, because yeah. yes. Because I thought that uh, we were going to get picked up in a Mercedes. Oh, we were we were going to get driven into a palatial type accommodations, and uh, we were going to live happily ever after and not worried about money at all. However, uh, uh, my uncle picked us up, and he picked us up in with Cadillac, not Mercedes, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a Datsun. Oh, okay. And the Datsun had multicolored, uh, uh, multicolored uh, parts from multiple accidents. Okay. And we barely fit into the car because there's so many people, and the accommodations were a uh, two-room apartment for four people, and I had to sleep in the same in an alcove uh, room with my grandma. Uh, just separated by, not even separated by anything in the living room, and my parents would sleep in the in the bedroom. Okay. So it was it was very disappointing for me. I thought it was the land of riches and opportunity. And when I came there, I didn't speak the language. It was it was it was tough. It was it was tough and disappointing. So so it was actually not an improvement comparing to Russia. Uh, was it Russia? No, Russia. Uh, it was Ukraine. Oh, it was Ukraine, but it was Soviet Union, right? That's that's mm -hmm. right. Well. Uh, uh, it was an improvement long-term, short-term. It was uh, definitely not an improvement. But if you but... came out as a kid and you, and you saw you know, New York, was it impressive for you or to say, okay, I don't care, it's still it's bad? No, Kiev was a, Kiev was a big city. Uh, I mean, it's, it's back then it was probably a million, over a million people. Okay. And Manhattan, you know, today, uh, but today only a million people live in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And the other boroughs like Brooklyn, Queens, especially back then, it was basically all low-rise housing. Not very impressive. Okay. And okay, then what I what I think is, if you got you know when you got your the computer after that, so how how long you had to wait until the the first computer? Well, the Vic Twenty I pretty much got right away because uh, I, I I think somebody gave it to me as a present because they upgraded to Commodore sixty four. But this is actually but, what I what I think is like you know the great escape for you you know now it is yeah now if you you know if there's this, everything is hopeless and you get your the machine you can say now I, I have time to go into it and and understand everything right yeah yeah and uh, I had I had lots of time I had uh, I had very like 
I was sitting at the computer for 15, 16 hours a day trying to figure out how to program all by myself. And it was, uh, it was fantastic. Of course, my parents hated it, but, um, for me, it was fantastic. But um, how you, you you got a book or something else? Because I mean, if oh. there's nothing, how how to find out what to do? I mean, it's impossible, right? Basically, books. Okay, if you have books, books. it's doable. Yeah, BBS. Uh, there were bulletin boards. I could chat with some people, but that was definitely secondary. But not immediately, books. right? Uh, if you got to USA, you got the computer. Let's say in the next two weeks. And then you try to find out what to do. You also got some books or just the computer? No, I got computer and I got some books and okay. I tried to figure out, uh, you know, English is a second language. Also try to figure out language. It was, it was not easy, but it was fascinating to me. Okay. And what you, what was your first, you know, interesting application you wrote? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I try to figure that one out, but, uh, it's like any any simple thing that I make a computer work, like I could computer basically submit to my will. That's uh, that's a win for me. What I remember now, because I uh, asked a question to many guests, what 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 I was happy with, you know, blinking text, and uh, and actually text in different colors. So this is what I would this what I really liked, you know, uh, changing the the color and uh, of the of the of the font on the screen with basic, of course. I completely forgot that, but this was doable. I forgot what to do with the blink, but uh, uh, this was uh, fairly easy. I remember something about string concatenation that was like, oh, I got that to work in assembly language. That was that assembly. Was okay, I started yes. with basic. You started with assembly. I well, I started with those peek and pokes, which I I really like. I really hated that all that magic. I tried to find uh, out but, with two nested for loops, but it never worked. So it worked to a point, and then it stopped, or a computer crashed. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I really, I started with assembly. I started uh, my. Uh, uh, after wait, a, wait, wait a second. I... But how it's possible? Is it impossible in Vic twenty to start with assembly? You need another program, right? No, no, that was after the Vic twenty. I kind of gave up on that pretty, pretty. But quickly. what you did with the Vic Vic twenty? Did you anything you know sensible with that or? No, no, not. Oh, really. okay. So it was just you know. Uh, okay, this was your first contact. Was it your next machine then? Yeah, I got uh, I got a PC, one of those IBM PCs that somebody threw out, basically. And when so was it? Need. When was it? Uh, maybe 89, 88. So one year later. So was it 88? Yeah, some so, somewhere in that in that time period. And and, and that's where I, it's still in the same apartment. Yes. Okay. So there was even no more room required for a PC, I guess. You know, you need a. Yes. 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 One question is: You had the Vic twenty. Vic twenty had to be, you know, connected to a TV set, right? That's right. And you had to sh to share the TV set with the other parts of the family, right? No, we got a separate we got a separate TV set for the computer. Oh, cool! So you were lucky. Yes, I was. Yeah, cool. Yeah, my parents did see the interest and they uh, nurtured it a little bit as much as they stomached, because I was still going to be playing violin as a profession. So they're kind of like, oh, trying to figure out what to do with me. How long you had to practice violin a day? Well, I was supposed to practice three to four hours. Wow! But I was lucky to practice one. But still, a I one skated is still by my talent as much as I could, but at some point, the talent didn't carry me far enough. Uh, uh, were you actually talented, or I was? I okay. was. I was very talented. Okay, if cool. I do say so myself. Okay. Uh, can you can you play something right now? Any instrument? No, I can, guitar. No, or I cannot. It's a, it's a, it's so embarrassing. Okay. 
Yeah, it really is. I thought, you know, at least a uh, e-guitar or something, you know, Jimi Hendrix style or something like this. No, no, no. Violin is it's like for one day don't practice, it takes two days to get it back. Okay. Um, okay, so you got the PC and then you started immediately with Assembler, right? Immediately. Like, I, I loved Assembler. I, I just loved being like next to the machine and basically making the computer like yeah, string concatenation that fascinated me to know and they would write <laughs> okay. different programs that did string concatenation that was in and that was so, so you like probably great. java server pages as well like right? a string concatenation uh no how you got the idea that uh assembly is a thing i mean were you in uh, a computer club from the book i oh, from I, the book? no i got okay. the book i okay, got the cool. book and that was that was that was that was cool and I, I did that. And then I graduated to C, uh, which okay. was which which was uh, pretty cool. You could be more productive. And then I got uh, Wait a second. I got my... Are you and you went to school or you were still in the apartment the old day? I was still I was still at the apartment all day. I went to one year of uh, high school they have it in the US here. And then uh, 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 and why how is it possible that you didn't have you know, to go to the school was it actually no i i did go i did go to school but uh the, it was like sporadic okay uh, just to kind of learn english and uh uh yeah i was an overachiever and uh i uh, knew basically the whole school curriculum my dad taught me basically a, a lot uh, of like extracurricularly so i was really bored with high school and i just took the high school exam and just stopped going to high school and just took the exam uh, that's actually cool and what's the impression of the school so your very first day uh, at school in us it was it was terrible because i didn't know any language okay. it was just very lonely okay on the your colleagues were nice to you or not or what was you know the... eh, some of them were some of them weren't it was yeah. it was it was about 50 50 mix and, and any you know computer hackers or uh, uh computer oh, no 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 one no. Okay. Not that I remember. Yeah. But this is amazing that actually that it but yeah, you were overachiever, but is it actually possible to be good at school without learning anything? No. You had to learn as well, right? Uh again, I don't remember really learning much. Except for in in high school I did go to the computer lab and hang out there all day. <laughs> I did do that. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, so high school you got your PC and you could program something in assembler so what do you program then what was your idea uh i remember i did a, a rolodex program that was in c and that had a like little rudimentary file database and basically a lot of a lot of stuff that you do with search you could do basically a rolodex okay that was kind of my kind of my uh, go-to program with every new language i would say can i do a rolodex because it touches a lot of stuff it's got a user interface what it's is ro roller? What do you say? Roller? Rolodex. Was it like a address book? Okay. Like uh, keep people's names as ad addresses and phone numbers. Okay. That contacts at on, on Apple, right? Yeah, contact list basically. Yeah, You're, yeah that's exactly right. Uh, so with every new language, I tr I try to learn. I want to see. I wanted to see how uh, how easy it is or difficult it is to write a Rolodex in because you have. You know, you have graphic, you have user interface, graphical or not. You have database. You have uh, middle tier. You have like search functionality slash business logic, 
and things like that. So uh, it's it's pretty uh, you know pretty business logicy type of application to do. So I like doing that in pretty much any language. I I learn. I try to do that first to see how how that works out. So how many uh, address books applications you've wrote then? Ah, uh, three or four. Okay, cool. Not too many. And the last was Java. The last one. The last one was Java, indeed. Okay, so you uh, you did uh, assembler, then C, a little bit basic, and uh, what you did with C also, of course, uh, address book. You started, obviously. I started with address book, and then I got a job. Uh, basically, my parents get an ultimatum: you either go back to school or get a job. So I got a job. Okay. And uh, and Which? that job, uh, I don't remember the company name, uh, and I don't quite remember what they did, but it was in C. Uh, it was it, it, it was some some mobile device or some embedded device of some kind. Maybe that's what it was. Okay. Uh, so I did that in I did that in C. So that was my first like professional program in C. And then uh, you know I, I I was about fifteen years old. And, this is a crazy. Uh, so they they yeah. hired you with fifteen. So how you how you convinced them that that you are able to do this? I don't know. I, I, okay. guess, I, I, I guess I did. I, I, I don't exactly remember how. Okay. So after that, I went to work for a few uh, financial companies where mm -hmm. I learned C++. And I was, I think I was like you, I was a big C++ fan. And uh, this was before any of those boost libraries. I tried to figure out with, uh, with a few other people how to do smart pointers and I, I thought C++ was end-all, be-all, you know, only if you figure out how to do the smart pointers so memory management goes away, and only if you do all of that and figure out how the templates work in the compiler, then C++ would be just the perfect language, most productive language. You can write anything you want in, in, in C++, and it's, you know, it, it, it's just perfect. And I was under that opinion for a long, long time, and... Uh, we had a, a in one of the companies that I worked at. We had a pretty good, actually pretty productive infrastructure, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's basically. I, I was a C plus plus fan, like to the max. Okay, how you was it easy to get the jobs to the at the other companies, or you know, you had to apply, or you you were asked. You remember that? It's always interesting, you know. Well, I applied to the the after that uh, the consulting job the the first one when I did this when I did the C project for this embedded device I think I applied about twenty five to twenty I went to twenty five interviews okay and number twenty five uh, this guy Mark took a chance on me and he is my friend till 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 this day and he's an awesome guy he took a chance on me. And uh, that was my first job. And uh, after that, things became a lot easier. Okay. Let's put it that way. Could it be that the very first company was somehow, you know, top secret company? No. No, it's just you cannot remember because you say, no, you remember everything except the very first job. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. It was, it was not that exciting. It was, it was kind of scary because it, it, was, it was my first job. It was okay. very scary. Okay. Um, so you did C plus plus, and what you did backend programming or you know uh, UI using Finan financial back financial backend stuff for uh, mortgages basically to mortgage calculations. Okay, so lots of calculations and uh, database access as well, right? Yeah, pretty much. Oracle. Yeah. 
Uh, it was Sybase back then. Okay. I did a little bit. I remember Pro-C, I think. It was the C++ interface to Oracle, so you could generate C++ code and compile it, something like this. So I, I it was Pro-C or pre C++. It looked like, do you remember actually SQL, SQL J? No. In Java, it was like, uh, it was attempt. I remember this right now. It is uh, like mixed between JSP and JDBC. No, so, I, I, don't, okay. I, don't, I, have not, okay. I have not used that. But I do remember learning SQL. That was a, uh, I call it, everybody calls it SQL. I still call it SQL because yes. that's how I learned it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, uh, and I remember using Sun C++ compiler, which mm -hmm. was, you know, a big pain in the, uh, you know what? Uh, because of the template support, because, you know, I wanted to use templates and uh, type safety. I, I learned this whole type safety thing, and the type safety thing was, was great. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, all, all of that. Uh, looking back at it, C++ is such a terrible language. <laughs> it's way overcomplicated, and it doesn't really work to this day, unfortunately. So uh, that's how I discovered Java. People were talking about Java back then, I'm, and I'm like, I would dismiss it as like, this thing is slow. It's it's a kid's language. It's interpreted. It's it's just it's just no good. Uh, but uh, I tried it. Uh, I, I was uh, I was out of a job for a few months, and I tried it. And uh, uh, I got a question for you. What do you think? Java's biggest advantage over C++ is? If you had to pick one or two. Um, probably three. So what I remember from C++ is uh, Java came with, uh, how we call it, C++ standard library first. Yes. So this was it. And, and C++, I had to read a book about that, I remember. There was just, you know, a book about all which you have to, you know, all the data structures, stuff like that. So Java is not entirely true because in the very first version of Java, there was no collections. I don't know whether when you started with Java, but at the very first version, we had uh, several collection uh, collection libraries. Yeah, I started in 1.1 with 1.1. And, uh, and I think the uh, vectors and everything else came with JDK 1.2, as we remember. So vector was there, I think, and the Java util array list and everything else came later. So they, they came afterwards. So um, yeah, right. We only had vector, I think, and and hash table. This is what we got with from the beginning, and right. and it, yeah, and this came later. So the next thing in Java was, uh, as I remember, the huge huge thing was threading, built in threading, how it is right now. So it was easier to build uh, backend servers um, because it came with built-in support. And in C++, you had to do something else what I uh, don't remember exactly, and this was the problem. And of course, yeah, memory. Yeah, p-threads versus, uh, not like native threads versus p-threads. Something yeah, something like, like this. And uh, uh, the last time I did C++ was before Java, and I started with Java in 1995. So I think my, my last line of code I've wrote in 1994. So this is what I, what I remember. And right. uh, the next thing is, um, is of course, uh, memory management. So... Um, as Java started, um, what I what I what I what I was able, you know, to go into a project, I just mentioned, you know, the threading, memory right. management, and and then I got, you know, the contract usually because back then they were, you know, killer arguments. Yeah. 
So these were the three things what I would see. So with smart pointers, with C++, as far as I thought back in the time, back in the day, memory management was not a big deal. As a matter of fact, I thought C++ did better memory management if you do smart pointers correctly. Unfortunately, I found out later that with Java, you have, because you have uh, actual memory management, did you know that in Java, memory management is actually faster than you can do in C++? Because uh, basically in C++, you call malloc and free, mm -hmm. and those things uh, basically are thread locked. Mm -hmm. So in, in different threads, Java doesn't, uh, because Java does its own memory management, it doesn't do thread lock. So all the memory allocations are actually faster in Java multi-threaded environment. Yeah, uh, what uh, James Gosling mentioned several times that the uh, free uh, is uh, in Java, you know, the garbage collection, if it just drops the uh, short-lived object, is as fast as just, you know, f I think it's called free in, in, in C++. Or yeah. the, the alloc or whatever the, the routine is. Yeah. And um, speed was not the issue back then because everyone said Java is too slow. Stability. And uh, for backend systems, this was the killer killer argument back then. What I remember. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think for me, the killer argument, the killer Java feature that C++ doesn't have and will never have is this. Uh, for example, let's say you have a library. When you, if you want a, if you want a binary library in C++, it's a nightmare because you have to distribute it for every architecture. Yeah every compiler, even the different optimizations. If you turn on different optimization flags in C++ for one library and compile with different, somewhat different, slightly optimization flags in another library and try to link those two libraries in, in, in your own project, the thing's gonna crash at random at some point because of, because of the like exact, exacting nature of the optimization of the libraries. So basically, it's a nightmare creating libraries. Uh, you can't, you, you basically have a dead idea to create libraries in C++. What, what I remember back then as well is the performance of the compiler. What, what I remember if I showed them how, oh, fast, how fast Java compiler is, everyone was delighted. So impossible. Yes. And, and uh, yes. They, they had to compile you know, the whole night and in Java, it was very, very fast. It was an argument. Yes. So now, no. But so I feel this like... podcast is actually nice. So I remember, you know, the old old stories, war stories from back then. But um, mm -hmm. what interests me more, because if we, you know, will criticize the C++, people will probably attack my podcast. You know, we already <laughs> didn't say very nice things about Scala. Scala is, of course, great. And C++ was even better. But, um, but um, uh, back to this, what I remember... Did Objective C people also you know claim several times how great the reference counting is? I never believed that, but okay, uh, uh, interesting idea. But um, which you started with JDK one one and you stick with yes. JDK, or you had to still still to do some C work after that? Oh, I, I did in parallel for a little bit, but not not too much. So just to just to get back to the point of libraries, <laughs> there is a there is a reason why Java has a huge ecosystem. And the reason is that you don't have that problem of, you know, distributing libraries in thousands and thousands of different binary forms, and then they they crash at the end of the day anyway. It's just simple. You just compile your library, you ship it, and you're done. Yeah. And it'll work in any Java anywhere. And that's how I believe that's why Java has this huge ecosystem that it does today, a very successful one. 
and also the uh, you no know, stability of um, of uh, Java itself. Um, oh, I mean, that's that's amazing. And and uh, I know in Germany and Europe there were lots of projects, banks and insurance companies who invested, you know, a lot in Java from day one, and they are still happy. <laughs> and this is why Java is so popular as well, I, I think. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, what what you did with Java the very first? What was your very first project with Java then? I actually, uh, so uh, financial markets have these indexes, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, like S and P five hundred uh, mm -hmm. in Germany, they you have DAX, I believe. Mm -hmm. You have Nasdaq, right? Something like this. Yeah. So, in order to compute the values, uh, basically, in order to compute those values, you have to get the prices for all the stocks. You combine them. You apply a formula. And it's 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 actually pretty complex, uh, so it required for me to write out the like a UML diagram of what the data structures are going to be like. Was Russian first Rose? time ever? Uh, uh, no, I just did it on a piece of paper. Oh, of course. <laughs> but usually, I can I can imagine this. I can imagine the stuff in my head and then write it down as code. This way, it just I tried it and tried it and tried it. It didn't work. It didn't work. So I had to write down all the all of the data structures. Uh, right now, you do it much easier with streams today, but back then it was JDK 1.3, I think. So mm -hmm. the data structures that are were available are very limited. Uh, so that was that was an interesting project to do that. So were you alone on the project or no? It was a team. I was alone. It's it's a, it was a small project. It was a, it took me about two weeks to do. So. Uh, I, I would plug into the rest of the uh, rest of the system. And so you computed over. basically Nasdaq, right? So you were yeah, responsible. The price of Nasdaq, yeah. So you were responsible for the crash, right, in two thousand? No, I wasn't <laughs> working for Nasdaq. I was working for a company who tried to figure out whether to sell or buy Nasdaq, depending. Ah, on okay. What I was just kidding with the Nasdaq. So, but uh, yeah, okay. Okay, cool. And um, so, um, was the project successful? So, what you did? So, did it work? I mean, your work. You did? Yeah, it did. Okay, cool. It did. It did. Uh, a lot of things I hear even now from people that uh, a lot of the code that I wrote is still running. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, really nice. So what was the name? Yes. Uh, was it a server? Was it Tomcat or was it just a library? Was it like no? Java? It was just. It, it was. It was just a library back then. This was before I discovered the power and elegance of Java E or. Oh, okay. E. Power and elegance. Cool. Hey, um, and of course without unit tests back then, right? No, no unit test. This is an, for, for, for unit test in production. For finance, I will never write you know unit test. What I would would write unit test a lot is getters and setters and default constructors. This is you know with something can go wrong, but for financial algorithms, you can just you know you have a feeling, you see the numbers, and you go right. Exactly, exactly. You you test in production. Yeah, <laughs> deploy uh, early and often. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very good. So, um, when was it? Two thousand. Uh, let's see. JDK yeah, three. early 2000s. That was that, that was Be early 2000s. Before the crash. 2000s. Before the crash, yeah. What you did when the crash happened? So did it hit you hard? People, you know, IT in 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 on Wall Street or Well, I uh I my contract was coming to an end, so I let it expire and I had a girlfriend at the time and I traveled the world with her and cool. uh it, it was nice while it lasted. Okay. So this was uh, the crash, and then it recovered a little bit, so you started hacking again. Yes. I actually, uh, in 2007, I uh, 
got uh, I, I was I was thinking I could do something else with my life, and I actually became an airline pilot. Wow! So, but um, you became the airline airline pilot in two thousand seven or before two thousand seven. And how I, I how long you had to learn to to become or to train or whatever? I used to fly as a hobby. I started to learn in. Um, uh, 1995, I, I did my first flight just as a hobby on a small plane. Okay. And every weekend I would try to fly as much as I could, maybe once or twice a week I could I could fly. I really loved it. And I didn't know I could be an airline pilot. So in 2007, actually, before uh, I, I had another contract that was ended, and I'm like, let me try this out. So what so you I built before, to... uh, what you built between, you know, the library for NASDAQ and becoming an air, air, airline pilot. So the, which project you did back then? Basically, basically different, uh, different uh, financial projects, mostly uh, mortgage calculators is kind of what I specialized in. And, and just libraries, never a runtime. No, no, no. Uh, mortgage calculators are not like just pro project, basically project for a company that so calculated mortgages. Ser services or, you know, like a headless java library which is you know can be included as a calculation library or more like you know a uh, java e server which exposes some stuff no no it was it was a project basically you start it up it reads the database and uh, keeps crunching numbers and puts the numbers back in the database oh the okay screen. so like a batch batch processing project right something yeah, like this some of it's batch some of it's uh, interactive with a ui and everything and and you specialized specialized in the algorithm, so you you knew exactly know how the algorithm no, worked. No, no, I no, I would I I would do the uh, basically what this was before uh, Jakarta EE. Okay. Uh, or I discovered that, or the companies discovered this discovered it. So this was basically kind of what Jakarta EE does. Uh, so basically, transactions, messaging, transactions, oh, things like that. So you are the infrastructure expert. So you you specialize yes. on you know the framework things, you know uh, lifecycle and stuff like that. Uh, so exactly. And you got the algorithm from your business department. They were always different. That's right. So this was just a lucky accident that you worked, you know, for the mortgage people, but you could do yes. something else. But you didn't care about the algorithms. You had your framework stuff from reading and writing to database. That's exactly another a, a very interesting project that I did was a uh, market uh, uh, market making uh, market making uh, project uh, for stocks, which is kind of easier to understand. Uh, which is you know when you trade a stock, you buy you buy and sell from the market maker. Mm -hmm. So the market maker is uh, so I did the app in the market maker that would uh, automatically sell and buy more stocks depending on. You know, depending on the algorithms that, again, I didn't write, but it requires a lot of real-time communications and real-time messaging, things like that. So, uh, again, I used the expertise on that. Say again. Was it Corba IDL? Uh, no, it was it, it was basically raw TCP okay. send receive. Okay. It, it was it was not that complicated. Okay. It's proprietary uh, wire protocol and all that. Try to do it. try to do it as fast as possible. And I guarantee you, if I were to do it again in Jakarta EE, it would be just as fast. Yeah. So the question is, so you, you had your own framework when you discovered Java E or Jakarta E or whatever, or or what what what, what something different to your framework. Well, uh, I again, I would uh, I, I would always take time to learn, and I have the side project which I worked on for another company. It was I worked on that for actually fifteen years and oh. weekends and evenings, 
it was a uh, scheduling system for trucks. Okay. And that one, I actually uh, figured out that I would use uh, Java EE or Jakarta EE back, uh, Jakarta EE now, but back then it was Java EE. And that's how I uh, I tried it. And that's how I uh, figured it out. And, and how, so, how you got the idea that Java, th Java EE is a thing and is better than your stuff? Internet. Okay. Yeah, but still, if I if you have your own framework, you know, how to search for something else? So I, well, I, mean, I didn't really have my own framework. I had I I, I had to write the uh, you know bare bones framework. Uh, okay. or I wouldn't even call it framework. Whatever okay. it needs to be written uh, for the business logic to work. Uh, so I didn't. It wasn't really a framework. It was just you know whatever it needs to be written. It, it was okay. Uh, and I figured you know somebody else could do it better than I could. Uh, especially for a uh, small business application like this trucking scheduling system. So I decided to use it and I fell in love because you just, the, for, this is for the first time in Java EE, I was able to uh, just, it works for the first time. You write it and it works. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I've ever had that experience is it was the first time I could actually deploy an application and have a reasonable chance of working as opposed to spend hours, hours in the debugging and trying to figure out how, why it doesn't work. Okay. And which server was it back then? I started with JBoss, JBoss okay. 4. Okay. And uh, so, so I, I fell in love. Uh, I tried Spring. And a spring just it took like I, I was trying I was trying it for a day and it wouldn't work like the database connection wouldn't work there's some exceptions that would pop out and I had no idea what was going on but with Java EE and JBoss when they started it it worked it, it, it just everything worked and I didn't have to do anything it just all I had to concentrate is on is is business logic mm -hmm. and that was a game that was a game changer for me and JBoss four I think it was already Java five right. I believe so. Yes, with annotations. You don't. You didn't have to with write. An, yeah. Yes. This was Java five. So um, I started JBoss with JBoss one or two. So I had to know to write the old code, and then with mm -hmm. JBoss three, the uh, annotations came out. So I, uh, as a proof of concept, I, I I wrote some stuff. So it 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 worked really well with JBoss four. JBoss five was not as nice. I think there are some problems with JBoss five, but JBoss four worked well. And question Speaking are which. Hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead. With the truck scheduling system, was it that complicated? I mean, there were probably some algorithms to know how to what is the most efficient scheduling, right? Or what was the problem or the 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 goal of the application? No, it was it was basically it, it was basically a CRUD application. People okay. would just enter things, and uh, the algorithms. Uh, it, there was it, it was a, another vendor program that would look at the database and do the actual scheduling. Okay. But this was basically expose the information to the to the people who are riding on the truck, like on the mobile website, things like that. Okay, and and the front end was probably Seam. Uh, nope, it was JSP at first. Very good. Uh -huh. And then, uh, well, this is the this is the next thing. I tried to update upgrade to JBoss five from JBoss four, and it was impossible. Yeah. Like nothing would work, and yeah. it just the upgrade itself. So I'm like, this is this is not worth it. So at that point, we switched to Glassfish. Oh, mm -hmm. three and yes, mm -hmm. and Glassfish was. I'm like, this is great. I can delete like half the code. 
because, you yeah. know, Glassfish would do everything. So I deleted half the code. And then because of that, I decided to uh, rework the application using uh, HTML prime faces and omni faces. Yeah. And oh, that was that was amazing. Uh, that was another step, amazing step forward. And I couldn't believe how productive you can get and how like just 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 the iteration, the iterative nature of development, you could actually iterate and you know test things and it would just work so fast and it was it was just great. And uh what what do you like the most at Glassfish? So if you know started Glassfish, what do you appreciated the most? The console actually you yeah, can you exactly. can actually put things into the console. Yes. You know, the you admin console was the killer feature back then for me as well. So this uh, is what I say. Absolutely. This is this is incredible. So they, you know you have the visual console where you can manage things and see you know the metrics and uh, metrics were available out of the box. You know in Glassfish there was like I forgot what it how what's called. It's like like a um something like a flow flow sequence or flow control where you sort of know which invocation took uh, how long. This was for, for instance very interesting. Oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. That, that that was nice. That, that that's nice. And you stick with Glassfish then? Stick with Glassfish and then switched over to Payara, and that brings me another job. I could actually come work for Payara for two years. I didn't knew that. You you worked for Payara? Yeah, I worked for Payara for two years. Cool. And when was it? It was. Uh... And it was 2016, 17, or 17 or 18. Hey, cool. And yeah, uh, so as an airline. Pilot. So you uh, so you started with the Glassfish, and then you had your airline pilot break, and then got started with Payara over. Or what was you know the timeline in your in your right? So I still uh, I still worked for the uh, trucking place until 2015, and then in 2000 uh, no 2016 or 17, and then I went right into Payara, and I was working as an airline pilot since 2007. So I was not having much fun because, you know, every time you go to the hotel, the rest of the people go out drinking. And I'm like, I, I go work on the trucking website on the ah, IR. So this was not a real break. So this was like, you know, you, you were a software engineer as a, as a leisure. And uh, yes. your main job was the airline pilot from 2007 to 2000. When? Uh, 2007 till now. Uh, you are still an airline pilot? I am. Hey, oh. This, great <laughs> this is crazy and um so now it's a little bit less for flying because of corona right yes so yes. you're grounded uh, i am not grounded uh yet but uh, i found out that i have back problems and they have to operate so i'm going to be grounded uh since uh, uh you know in a couple of weeks oh okay and but um, i still have nothing on my schedule anyway till then so i guess i am grounded <laughs> okay and uh, which machines do you fly? Embraer 145 regional jet. Okay, just this? Nothing else? No, no. That's how airlines work. You just fly one type of plane. Okay. And and where you are flying from? From New York, I assume. No, uh, I actually live in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, right now. I uh, married a uh, nice Nebraska girl and moved out here. Okay. And uh, we uh, fly in and out of Chicago. Just Chicago and back. This is just where main line or nothing else? No, no, no. Basically, everywhere in the U.S. east of Denver, right? Like before the Corona hit. Now okay. it's very spread. And 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 you enjoy 
your job as a pilot? I do. I do. I well, I I used to enjoy it before Corona because it was yeah. fun, and now nobody's having fun. <laughs> okay, and um, so right now it's not not very enjoyable. And how how much you had to know how much time it took to become an airline pilot? Well, again, I started in 1995, uh, and I flew as a hobbyist until 2007, and I applied and I got a job. Oh, okay. I thought you have to go, you know, some formal, whatever, formal training or whatever. I had enough hours. I, I accumulated 800 hours ah, in the preceding 10 years or 11 years. But so because I think I in enough. Germany, you have to attend a Lufthansa school or something like this to become a pilot or something like I I, I believe. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I have no idea how it works in Europe. That's uh, all. I, all I know is that Europe has a lot more tests, and the tests are more rigorous. Okay. And there's like a lot more of them. That that's all I know. Okay. So in in US, it's just you know enough to know what the button, buttons are doing, and you can fly right. No, there's still <laughs> there's still a lot you got to know, but it's yeah, just you can fun. do it on your own. Okay. Uh, as opposed to you, you need to like go to some kind of uh, some kind of program. So um. And last question regarding the airplane. So um, how much you know autopilot support you get from an airplane? So how autonomous are the airplanes? It's just like a very simple computer. Uh, you, tell it, you tell it what to do. It does exactly what you tell it, rudimentary okay. commands, like turn to a heading of 180, go south, okay. or descend to 5,000 feet, or climb to 10,000 feet. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, and then, a little bit more automation, you could say go to point A to point B okay. to point C on, on the map here and there. So it builds it like a route for you and it flies it. But uh, computers break a lot. Okay. So you have to be always ready to, ready to take over. All the landings and takeoffs are uh, pilot piloted as opposed to computer does not fly those, especially like in our aircraft, especially because it's pretty old. And the newer one and are are they able to land? You know, so the new Airbus. Are, mm -hmm. Yes, they uh, the Airbuses and the uh, the Boeing's they can auto land, but only at certain airports under certain conditions. Oh, okay. For example, yeah, only the biggest airports have those auto land systems, and also the winds have to be uh, less than X, and you know th things like that. Okay, and so and you still hacking code right now. Or yes, I do. It's amazing. And, and what are you writing right now? Well, right now I am in. Well, right now I'm preparing for my for my surgery. But I've got uh, I've got a couple of things in the pipeline uh, that I want to do uh, for Payara. Also, I want I want to restart my Payara work mm -hmm. uh, because I think you know the pe people at Payara are amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, big shout out to Steve Millage. He is yeah. the best boss I've ever had. Mm -hmm. He is really great, uh, and uh, that's that's and the code. You know, I, I I've never seen such a uh, such a well organized piece of code that's twenty years old. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you would like so, to do in, with Payara right now? So I mean, to, for my understanding, well, so you are Payara, but you, you, uh, are you a freelancer? So are you writing? You know, your... I am. Okay. Yeah. So then you can just you know you are building a code for companies and you and you're selling your consulting work or your software or whatever, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yes. it's very similar to my job, but I'm not a pilot. So that's the only difference. There, there, there you go. 
Very good. <laughs> exactly. So what are you thinking about right now? So what are you building or what's your interest? Okay, so so there's one, uh, there's there's a Hazelcast, Payara Hazelcast integration mm -hmm. that is, uh, that, that, is uh, that needs enhancements. I'm trying to, that's, that's going to be the first thing that I'm trying to do, that I'm going to do. And then there's some grisly work that I am trying to do with HTTP2. Mm -hmm. uh, to fix all, to fix that up, uh, because it's not in the best condition right now, and nobody seems to be able to debug it and fix it because it's an intermittent problem. Uh, things like that. So uh, just pick up things that aren't working or aren't working well enough, and uh, and and fix them up. But still, you know, to uh, fix HTTP two, you need a use case which uses HTTP two, or you just you know seeking for for problems and searching for problem and and just solve them randomly. So I mean, yes. Yes, the difficult problems. I I kind of like specialize in the more the more difficult problems that that people can't seem to resolve, and uh, you know get in there with a debugger or write test cases and load tests and things like that, and just getting it to break consistently, and then figuring out where it's broken and fixing it. That's interesting, because usually what uh, I'm a little bit different, so uh, I'm more use case driven. So what I do in my work, you will see also my blog and, and, and usually reflected somehow in my leisure activities. But uh, I try to be efficient with my time. So what it means is if I do you know several projects on the backend, I will probably you know to, to do something my leisure, which is backend related. Then if I get to you know frontend projects, I focus a little bit more on the frontend. So I try you know, to keep the ramp up phase as short as possible. So this is what, what I'm doing. But it seems like you're thinking different. So, okay, you just pick a problem and try to solve it and then move to the next one, right? Yeah, I I, 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 I like it. I also, I, I like to jump around and I like to do like a big project. But right now in my life, this is not, not a phase of my life to do that at this point. Okay. And and are these, you know, like also commercial project what I'm doing right now or just hobby? Uh, no, right now I, uh, I I'm just uh, right now. There's a couple of things I want to do uh, with Payara, uh, and maybe something else after that. But I don't have any clear clear plans. Okay. But right now I've got surgery coming up, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. So. So you're to, nervous to, about that? I'm very nervous about that. Okay, so I think it will go well. I think so. I think so too, I, because it's my first experience with health healthcare at all. Okay. So it's uh, I, I'm, I've never been to a hospital, I've never been you know butchered. <laughs> okay. So I don't know. It, it's 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 very tough. Can I ask you a couple of questions? You could. Okay. So did you invent BCE? Where did BCE come from? The boundary control entity. So um, I invented something different, and it was terrible. So I wrote a German book. Uh, like Java E5 patterns, and I use my own names. And this was the worst idea ever because uh, the names were facade behavior, I think, or facade domain and something on data. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I forgot the middle. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. The, exactly, exactly the same semantic like BCE, but, uh, but with my names per accident. And in every project I've worked as a consultant as you, I had, you know, to justify the names and everyone came up with better names and I hated that because I had to know to argue one hour about the stupid names. And then I found or remember from UML, from Rational Rose actually, you know, the boundary thing. 
and found the boundary control entity and it was originally actually implemented for the front end but it fit exactly now the idea of my you know custom names and then i did the boundary control entity and i just you know pointed the people to the i think it was Ivor jacobson to the old book from him say look there is a boundary control entity called robustness diagram from you know agile modeling go to the page agile modeling you will find that and then the discussion stopped so this was uh, my way to hack a system because I never ever, you know, had to justify the names. I don't like the control name. I hate that. But I never had, you know, if someone said, "Okay, why controls like no idea, go read the book and leave you no know, leave me alone." And it worked, you know, amazingly. Well, and from the Ahex TV, I got just, you know, nice responses. So some people com complain, it's okay, this is not nice names, okay, what we can do, you know, the icons are done, but semantically it seems to work. I see because I, I I didn't know where it came from, but it always I, I mean I used this I, I did the same thing you did uh, I did exactly the same pattern but with different names yeah uh, yeah and, and everybody it's like every Java E project that's that's that has any sort of forethought into it has the same kind of layout yeah I just like uh, but I was always wondering whenever you started mentioning BCE on the podcast and the AirHex TV I'm like. Be boundary boundary of what? Yeah, <laughs> that was always my question. But boundary between what and what doesn't makes no the boundary name to me makes no sense. Yeah, and, control. And, yeah, you could be spring controller or whatever. Boundary yeah. and the boundary no was uh, at the beginning of the um, it was the boundary between the user and the use case. It was the use case boundary. So I remember now right now the old books. It was like where the user uh, communicates with the system. And for me, the boundary on the back end is exactly the same. It's where we get, you know, the traffic from from front end, usually. This is the boundary. And the funny thing is, yeah. people told me, what you're talking about is not ECB or BCE. Actually, the origin name is ECB. But BCE, I mean, uh, the cool story is the BCE bound. Oh, the killer feature of BCE pattern is if you do boundary control entity, it gets sorted correctly in the IDE. Boundary comes first, then C and the E. And this is lucky accident because my inv inventions were wrong. I think because it was not, you know, alphabetically sorted. And this is not just nicer. So this, this is what uh, the, the BCE is. And yeah, this was actually the idea behind. And it works well. And uh, what I ask myself were the others, you know, strange, you know, structure things are coming. So what I saw, you know, a project was structured like, Oh my, DAOs, mappers, uh, exceptions, and this was like, and, and this was oh, actually no oh structure at all. It's like, 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 you know, you would just have, we could even structure the project, you know, these are the interfaces, these are classes, and this is something else. It's like completely, you know, pointless. Yeah, I, yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, I got I got a couple more questions for you. What do you think of uh, I've 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 heard you on the podcast lots of times, uh, not lots of times, but sometimes. You mention just copy the code, and I'm like, Adam, I agree with most of the things that you're saying, but copying the code is no, no, no. Like I'm a big fan of the dry principle: don't repeat yourself. Mm -hmm. And when I hear when I hear people that are there any kind of influence say oh if you don't like it just copy it mm -hmm. copy the code i i cringe w okay. what do you say to that so um i i cringed as well but uh for the last 10 10 years i find out it is better but thoughtfully you know 
copy the code. It's not like copy and forget, but copy, make it work, adapt, and clean it up. So this is what I what I what I mean by 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 copy. It's not like you know you copy random code from Stack Overflow and hope it will work. This is not 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 the point. But um, and in your project, copy the code. Why? Because I work with lots of uh, developers who tried to create the perfect system, and they spent a oh, lot yeah. of t time, you know, at the beginning, abstracting classes, interfaces, and it took a lot of lot of time. And the problem is, even if it was right, they were wrong from the business perspective, because as the project moved on, we learned about the project and we find out the abstractions were wrong. So for me, the dry comes last. So if we already understand the domain, then we can actually create the perfect system. B by the way, today I had a, a, a session with one of my clients and we talk about microservices. And I say exactly, just forget microservices. We build a monolith first. You, you know about the business logic and then we, will, we, we get some ideas. We will extract you know, the code by copy and pasting and creating a microservice. So I think it is just easier and you are more, you know, free to copy the code, but keep it simple. This the and, and if you I think it is better to copy and code and keep it simple than try to be dry and create you no know, useless abstractions and generate a lot of code. I I agree with the useless abstractions. There's definitely been a lot of that. But I in my it just in my experience I've seen uh if I were to pick a useless, I've seen something like 5,000 line function that is basically repeat of the same thing with the changes, with a little change here and there. Oh, this, is, this is terrible. This is terrible. But, but um, yeah, this I, is I, what I'm talking about. But this, I never this, saw this, this for, I think the last time I saw something like this is probably 10 years ago. And what I see right now in my code reviews is more over-engineered code. You know, Everything is dry, but it's pointless. I mean, yes. This but there is, is a, all I'm saying is that there's a middle layer. There shouldn't be like I, I agree with you. There's a lot of engineering going on, and that's that that that's bad. But I I think when it comes to like more junior, I don't know if I I like the I, I don't like. There's nobody like junior programmer. But wait, wait a sister. Wait, wait a second. Just, just a second. With the BCE and ECB, so and and the copying the code is also a kind of a social hack. Because in the projects, people ask me, what's my opinion about, now it's less OSGI, what's my opinion about modularization, CQRS, you know, and all the stuff. And I say, I just copy the code and then the discussion stops, you know. <laughs> That's like, what are you talking about? And, and, and then we just focus on the real things. So this is uh, like, you know, keep it simple, KISS. Is, KISS, I think, is keep it simple is the most important thing. Because we as developers, you know, tend to, you know, uh, build things without thinking about why. We optimize, optimize, if we don't recognize that, that whatever we're doing is completely pointless. Absolutely. Especially yeah. in Java. You have no idea until you measure. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what, what can kill us, you know, because we try in Java to have abstracted everything and people from JavaScript, Python, or we just, you know, or PHP or Perl, which write us a simple system in a fraction of time and they will win. I agree. Speaking of uh, speaking of microservices and uh, uh, and over engineering, um, so I always uh, back in the one of the systems that I developed 
was a uh, was a uh, ultra like ultra fast proxy server mm-hmm. before you know things like HA proxy existed mm-hmm. and all and all that stuff. And uh, I did a lot of benchmarking and a lot of measurements of uh, because we came to a, to a uh, to a head uh, to build a blocking system or a non-blocking system. Mm-hmm. So uh, people don't realize the moment you go non-blocking. Your your performance drops by half, mm-hmm. and uh, let, let let me explain why. Uh, let's say you have uh, a non. If you go down to the low level non blocking I O, uh, what needs to be done is you need to fill in your data structure with your file descriptor data structure with all the file descriptors that are there. You have to call some version of a select loop, and then. You have to do the same thing in the operating system because let's say you filled up a hundred hundred file descriptors, select a loop came back with like oh here you got a, uh, you got a read of on one, so you go you go in and then you go read off that one file descriptor. Guess what that does? That goes into the operating system and the operating system has to do the exact same thing, repeat the same thing, and say uh, do I have any data from that file descriptor? Yes or no. Uh, if yes, I fill on I fill in the buffer. If no, which in this case it would be yes. So m- m- the bottom line is the act of filling in those data structures with the file descriptors to figure figure out uh, to do that and go through a select loop does uh, basically kills your performance. Yes. So if you're if you if you're thinking that uh, you know you go in and you know you do everything non-blocking. And then you can handle ten thousand simultaneous clients and requests with one server. You know, you, you, it's basically we're going from uh, threads, which, which the system was, you know, was meant to do, to something like Windows three point one cooperative multitasking. This is how I see this whole non-blocking thing. So I feel like there are alternatives to that, and that's something that I want to be uh, working on. That combine. Um, the intent of non-blocking with an actual blocking architecture uh, that uh, that operating systems were meant to do. And for now, if I were writing a system from scratch, I wouldn't jump on this whole non-blocking bandwagon. I would just, the first thing I would do is tune your stack size. So the actual memory that the threads are used, threads are resources just like anything else. Yeah. So the biggest thing about threads is your stack size. So if you crunch down the stack size to as much as possible, you're, you will be able to do blocking regular architecture, your 10,000 threads, simultaneous threads, which ne- never happens until you're, unless you're Amazon anyway. Yeah, wait a second. Uh, story story about that. So you were right, but um, it's a different, I would say, different problems what we have. So um, the people suspect application servers of being slow. And the truth is also a nice story with Glassfish V3. Back then, I was hired by a project, and they actually... So the first sentence was, can you help us, you know, to build an uh, infrastructure with scales like Google? And I said, okay, I mean, we could probably do that, but these are the implications. So, you know, nothing should block and so forth. I said, this is complete different architecture what you imagine, but you could scale, but this is the price. And end of the story was... Of course, they didn't need this, but at the end of the story, we had uh, four Glassfish V3 in production, 
and they handled sustainable load like several thousand transactions per second and right. it was faster than they actually imagined you know so uh, actually of so course. the the all odd architecture without any non blocking so it was uh, we of just course. used you know request response so this was the first thing and this is what i what I, also my problem was also as as I mentioned scala scala and the other languages came out so I thought in one point of time, Java E will be not fast enough and I will have to use something else. And I will happy know to drop Java E because it's then boring and learn something else. So unfortunately, you know, the J2E and Java E was always fast I enough like in boring. my projects. So there was no opportunity to do something else except for fun. But uh, you can have fun in leisure. You don't have to have, you know, uh, you don't have to experiment in projects. So and, and another project, which was more what you are saying right now, is also Glasses V3, was insurance company. What they did is they, they had uh, backend um, mainframes, and the use case was if someone selects something in the mainframe, the mainframe communicated with uh, a custom server, and the server uh, had an open HTTP connection. This was like a you know, replacement of WebSockets. And then it pushed, or just, you know, Closed the connection or closed, dropped the connection, and then the data data was pushed to the client, and the client reopened a new connection. So we had you know several thousand standing connections to emulate WebSockets. Right. Yeah, and it was called uh, Comet back then. I think it yep. was not Ajax. Yep, it was I the, remember. Yeah, Comet. Right. It was the. Yep. It was not like Ajax. Yeah, and they built a custom. A web socket, uh, custom socket servers, and I remember there was like ten or twenty of them to handle, you know, the load. And the cool story is, on one day with Glassfish v3 and non-blocking I/O with asynchronous serv servlets, async, you know, async support, we were able to replace everything. So there was one, right. yeah, no, one server which managed all the thousands of threads. Yeah, it, it didn't yeah. have to be fast. It only had to consume less memory. This was the trick because all the yeah. waiting connections didn't have you know, to know to 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 have our threats. So yeah, the non-block, exactly. yeah. So the non-blocking stuff I always use not for performance, rather than for waiting. You don't you don't have you know to acquire a threat. This was my use case. Right, right. And also you you don't have to do that because uh, you have you have your asynchronous sock asynchronous servlets which. We'll do that, and all the uh, you know all the application servers have the right queuing, and uh, you know with a managed executor service or even yeah. you know asynchronous CJBs, you can you can do all that. And yeah, no problem. No problem at all. So and and, and if you if you watch uh, the AXTV, I get some sometimes the questions where I sh show them you know the uh, the trick with uh, with uh, async uh, async response. And but I barely use in my projects because more code. So keep it simple and stupid. Request response blocking, and you are golden. And if this is exactly. not enough, then do the uh, non-blocking stuff. However, speaking of, if you like, first of all, you got to remember if you start doing non-blocking, your performance drops by half. But it still still won't matter in my projects because usually we have a kind of database. You know, in the backend, if you hit the database, yes. no one cares about the frontend performance. Yes. Uh, so. What I'm trying to say is, if you are trying to do non-blocking and you you can measure it more easily, if you just wait for fibers to come out. Yeah. Once fibers comes out, I truly believe, then you can just turn it off and on, and then you can see what the performance is going to be. Then what people are going to find out that it makes it's actually worse with non-blocking. Let's see. Yeah, but uh, different use cases probably. You know. Mm, 
it is. There's lots of different cases, uh, use cases for lots of different different things. But if you're like if you're starting starting a, uh, a oh we need a non-blocking architecture today, uh, I would say you know in the future you know in the future you want to be Google, okay? Yeah. So I would say wait, and in the future, by the time you'll you'll be Google, fibers are going to come out, and then you can see what whether it's actually going to work for you or not. Yeah. All, exactly. All I'm saying is don't rewrite all your code, and you know, and then fibers come out, and then you'll be like, oh, uh, you know, this is this is this is a use case for fibers. This is not. This is a lot better. This it's just going to be a lot better that. Never rewrite your code. I, I only know in in exactly. I, I, what, what I wanted to tell you is, for instance, that um, I, I really cannot remember in a project where EJBs were too slow. No, me never. And I heard you know, in conferences, they don't scale. It's like, what do you mean by not scaling? I mean, this is just an interceptor around a class with a threat. How, how they cannot scale? What do you mean by not scaling? <laughs> never got an answer. And since now, you no. know, uh, uh, they are fast. And with Quarkus, probably the first time CDI can be you no know, compa comparable as fast as EJBs, but they were always you know fine. The problem was you no know, right. transactions blocking deadlocks. This is the real problem, but not so. Yeah, yeah. and um, people just like to optimize without a reason. So I, I so yeah. you know projects where uh, they cache like crazy and they got a problem. They asked me. They they called you know they thought I can help them with cache. What I did, I deactivated the cache and problem was solved. They had you no know, stellar yeah. performance, and it turned out all the optimizations they did was for nothing. So yeah, this is yeah exactly. yeah. So I got um, one more question for you. I got one more last last question. Last question, and then I could reinvite yes. you and talk you know more specifically about Java, so that we can do it in the future. Sure, but I I I, I do want to answer one more question. You want to leave it for next time? No, just do it. Okay. If this important question, what, go. Yeah. What do you think about Project Lombok? Oh, Project Lombok. Um, yes. Great project. Uh, great code and a little bit problematic for commercial projects. Why? If you go to Project Lombok, you will find that this is uh, a, a group called Switzerland or something like this. And if you go to commits and contributions, you will find that there are actually two main committers. What uh, Lombok is, is a code generator. So what it means is it has to be compatible with JDK and JVM. So right. uh, what it means is, what can happen is that uh, JDK 15, 16, 17, 20 comes out and the Lombok people have will have no time to, you know, to migrate their code to JDK and you are stuck. And I don't like the idea of being stuck. And what happens if the two main committers of Lombok, they, they lose their interests in Lombok and they do, you know, Kotlin Bok or Scala Bok or uh, any kind of other Bok. And what do we do then? I mean, will you just take over the project? You probably could, you know, because you say, okay, this is a challenge. No, no but this, is, I, this is one but, that's beyond me. But, but I, I, would say I, I, I personally, me. I have really no interest on, you know, uh, uh, you know, porting Lombok to something else. There's a lot other stuff to do. And, and therefore, if I would, for instance, you know, so this is, um, Lombok is a little bit, a very, you know, uh, passionate uh, thing, but I can, very similar answer. You now, five years ago, I got lots of questions regarding Google Web Toolkit, and I say, okay, regardless I how great this is, if this breaks, I cannot help you. I mean, this is like you know, Java to JavaScript compiler, and 
I don't I cannot I don't believe in it. It is way too complicated, way too slow, and we're completely you know depending on this project. And the people it will never die. Google is like okay, whatever. Oh, yeah. I can <laughs> just tell you. I can just tell you. I'm not. I I, I have no. I have not the resources to understand, you know, what's going on inside. And comparing to application server, application servers are simple. I mean, people expecting the application server is no black magic, not. You can really debug the entire stack. It is not that complicated comparing to GWT or Lombok, I would say. Right? So um, that's my point. So uh, if you are, you know, building something for your own, go with Lombok. But, you know, to generate some getters and setters or logging statement, I don't think Lombok is, you know, this the game changer there because I don't write a lot getters and setters anyway. But in one project, I actually said Lombok could help us because it was lots of entities and they had to be cached. Exactly. And with Lombok, we wrote uh, equals and hash code very consistently. And I say, okay, go with the Lombok. And if this breaks, we will de-Lombok the code. Yeah, we will get, yeah, you know, yeah. then we have our, this is our uh, escape. But this was only one project. In all others, I see the Lombok completely boring. They are generating default constructors, builders, and getters and setters, and they don't even use it. In most, uh, they just generate it because they can, and this is what I don't get. Well, to correct you, Lombok is not, like just to the so the audience gets the full picture. Lombok is not a code generator. It's a bytecode generator yeah. that runs transparently during your compile. You don't get any extra Java files. No, because I hate code generation that generates Java files. I I believe you do too because it's that that's just the recipe for disaster. Yeah, but it it has to be hooked in the in the Maven build process and uh and, and this is code which you don't see. Yes, it's it's bytecode basically. It's byte generally yeah. bytecode. Yeah, yeah. So I like Project Lombok because uh, just because again, as soon as you start uh, needing to write equals and hash code, that's it. You're, it's 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 a game changer right then and there. And just as you said, if for some reason the two committers stop working on it, you can always do Lombok and uh, and basically you're you, you're done. So I think the risk is very limited. And the reward is that uh, I also used a lot of like delegates. Instead of writing dynamic proxies, you do statically type delegates. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of things that make it look more like Groovy, which I actually like Groovy. So I'm a big fan of Lombok, and uh, there's a lot of negativity that surrounds it. Oh, really? Surrounds I, th it. I think, I, think I, was, I was the only one who is so negative because um, I don't think it's negative. So if you are alone in a project with Lombok, I wouldn't care. The problem is if you have team and you are hired you know, to develop a project with Lombok. So what it means is if this, this team is ready you know, to go with the project and they're in production and other team will take over, they, should, they, they also have to accept the Lombok. And yeah. this is the same is political true. decision like ECB and the naming, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, no, it is. So it if, is. You, if you're leaving the Java path and you start with Groovy, let's say, and I, I have to say I like Groovy the most, and the reason is because you can, start, you can start like Java and then you can optimize. But you can, yeah. you can write, you know, Java-compatible code, which is great. So, yeah. and, I, and I, uh, I actually use also Groovy the most as scripting languages, Groovy and then JavaScript. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But this is for specific cases, but Groovy was uh, uh, really nice, or it still is. And um, yeah, so, but 
I'm a consultant in projects, so what I have to do is to have some arguments, which, you know, 100%, otherwise I would just have to convince everyone. And my, yeah. and, and, and my, my, my strategy is always, you know, start with Java first. If this is not enough, of we course. pick, you know, Java. If it's not enough, yeah. then... Which is correct. Which, and, yeah. And, and, and then if, if Java is not enough, and then Lombok, we have to have specific use cases for Lombok. And use cases not get a setter, rather than equals hash code, whatever you said, delegate, yeah. but then you have to use it. And if you yeah. show me, I can save, you know, that much work and, and produce consistent behavior, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Whatever I saw in my code reviews was, you know, nothing. They just used Lombok because they found it somewhere and then I'm against. Exactly the same, you know, Jakarta Commons, Lang or whatever. I yeah, don't yeah, accept yeah. the fact, you know, to use Jakarta Commons, Lang just to have an empty string or two string, I don't care. But if you show me, okay, this particular case, we use it, we need it, then, it's okay. No. Yeah. I wish you all the best with your surgery. Thank you. So and I um, it. Uh, and um, where people can find you on the internet. So do you have you know your Twitter? Your yeah, I got my Twitter L L Premac P R I M A K. Okay. Uh, that's uh, that's basically the best way. Cool. Yes. I, I don't know. So thank you. And I'm um, you the Twitter. And if you're still alive after the surgery, you know, at one point of, <laughs> <I will be. laughs> in one point of time, uh, re-invite you back and uh, have a chat without introduction, just about nice Java things. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you doing the podcast. I think it's a, uh, it's a great service to the industry that you're doing. And uh, I like your, uh, th that's how I, I know about you from your YouTube videos. And I think uh, the I think this is the, the YouTube videos that you do is the magic without the magic, and it's 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 I when you see how uh, how like quickly and quote unquote magically and it's it's just so simple it just changes your mind about things and just opens up new worlds for for people who didn't know before. Yeah, cool. Thank you. And uh, the story between uh, podcast is because you know we don't have to prepare, right? This is my hack. So if I ask you everything, you know, then I don't have to prepare before. I don't know, you know, you, I only know you are a, a nice and interesting guy and let's see what happens. So, and between Java people, it is really easy to talk with them. So this is the, mm -hmm. the finding. And what I really hate, prepared interviews, you know, because they are not authentic. So if I would send you questions up front or whatever, I also didn't knew that what you're asking me here about, you know, Lombok or whatever, it's just more fun as it Good. should be. Thank yeah. you. All the best, and uh, yes, hear you next time. Thank you. You too.